Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Shot in the Baptist Live for Wednesday, April 28th. Uh, we're on at 530 uh, today, an hour early, as I mentioned last week, because, well, a good thing. We've got uh, confessions tonight for our confirmation uh, kids here at the School of Religion at St. Patrick's. So uh, I will be uh, taking care of business at, at 630, doing a good priestly work of mercy. Uh, so if you are getting on at 630 tonight, you will find this recorded version, and so welcome. Uh, but if you are want to join now, uh, I see that there are some people who found the earlier time. So be happy to, as always, take your, your questions tonight, uh, but knowing that probably at the earlier time, uh, I'll be dealing with uh, mainly me talking, and uh, I may have to end a little bit early tonight to get over to church. But uh, thanks for those uh, who are joining we are in this fourth week of, of Easter now, uh, to set things in context. Uh, Easter does continue to go on, and uh, spring is definitely here in uh, Kansas City anyway. We had <clears throat> cold tempers, we had we had snow a week ago, and then the, the trees have all now got their leaves, and we had warm, and today it's been raining. Uh, here's a little tie-in with the rain. Uh, people have been, been asking... Uh, Father Sean, how are you doing, you know, after your, your surgery? We know that uh, a couple weeks ago you talked about having surgery. Uh, well, I, I had um, I had surgery two years ago, uh, bariatric surgery to remove like 80% of my stomach in order to help me lose weight. Uh, and that was so successful, lost about 120 pounds, that um, the follow-up to that is I needed uh, surgery to remove all the excess skin. And so that I did three weeks ago. And so I, I mentioned that and... It's a, it's a bit of a, a long recovery. I was joking that, uh, well, if you're women and you've you've had a C-section, like I guess I just had a a huge C-section, like one hip to the other and all the way up and down. Like I felt like I could have given birth to like a, a average size toddler or something. Actually, had a woman write into me and say, actually, Father Sean, I had five C-sections, and after the last one, I had the abdominoplasty that you did, and the abdominoplasty was ten times worse than the C-sections. So, uh, I guess I shouldn't feel so bad that I, I still kind of feel a bit sore and everything. Good news is Tylenol takes care of it. But but here's the tie-in with the uh, the rain, because one of the things that I I thought of when I wanted to you know have these surgeries and lose weight and uh, praise God it's worked and modern medical technology is incredible. Um, but I wanted to be able to go out and do outdoor things again. I'm a scout. I like going out camping and hiking and uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't get basic kind of outdoor things like rain gear. Well, after I had the uh, abdominoplasty three weeks ago and I've gradually been shrinking down and swelling less, um, I went to one of my favorite outdoor stores, REI. Praise God, we've got one here in Kansas City now. And I, for the first time in I don't know how long, maybe ever, <laughs> maybe since high school, I don't know, I was able to go in and buy off the rack uh, a nice new rain suit. I got pants that I could buy in the store. Like I didn't have to go online and find like triple extra large and some weird. No, I got nice Gore-Tex uh, rain pants and a raincoat and, you know, Gore-Tex shoes. And so today in the afternoon, I was sitting in my chair praying and this huge just squall of a rainstorm came up and I did what any good Boy Scout would do. I want to see if my new rain suit works. So I put on my Gore-Tex and, and went out and, and got some exercise in the middle of a downpour wearing my new Gore-Tex rain suit, which I proudly bought off the rack at REI, free commercial there. And it worked. It was great. Came back in, water all over, shuck it off like a duck. And I was nice and dry underneath. Sat back down in my prayer chair as the rain stopped. Satisfied. So there's a little update. How am I doing? I'm sore, but I got to wear clothes that I bought off the rack and uh, preparing for uh, summer out at Philmont Scott Ranch, which I've uh, mentioned. I officially got hired this week, so there's a little development. They took a, a bit of a time not knowing if it was going to happen for sure or whatever, but got all the official paperwork in this week. So officially hired back again as chaplain at Philmont for uh, like June 5th to July 3rd. So if you're going to be out at Philmont during June and the beginning of July, I'll see you out there. Uh, I've met up with several staff already that are, are coming out and are Catholic and looking forward to that. Uh, so, uh, biggest deal with uh, rain, of course, out in the, the mountains and things at Philmont is, is not just the 
discomfort of getting wet. Truth is, it's so dry out there that, you know, if things get wet, you know, wait a couple hours and you're dry. Big, bigger deal out there is danger of hypothermia. So it's one of the 10 essentials we have at Philmont that if you go anywhere, you got to have rain gear. Uh, not so much just because you don't want to get wet, but because if you get wet, it gets cold when a thunderstorm comes through and you're, you're, you might get hypothermia. So anyway, there's a little scouting update uh, for you and weight loss update and all that. And a way to stall to allow people to uh, get on board that didn't know we were live today. So with all the uh, <coughs> weekly updates aside, now we can move on to uh, <coughs> what I, I had posted a little for the, the topic today. If you caught the morning message, uh, which, by the way, if you're not subscribed to the Morning Message podcast, why not? If you're a fan of Sean the Baptist, Morning Message is like five quick minutes every morning. Uh, feel free to jump on there and 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 get a little little shout out to the saint of the day, the readings of the day, just something that comes up in my mind for the day, whatever it is. Uh, you can get all that at seanthebaptist.org. Oh, I see Eddie's on, speaking of Philmont folks, so good to have Eddie on, uh, a regular on the show. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, there's the homily podcast from the weekend, there is the the morning message podcast, and then I, I take the Sean the Baptist live show, and uh, I'm able to uh, put all that into a podcast. So if you're a podcast person, there are three of them, check that out. Oh, happy birthday Saturday to uh, Eddie, G- good to see that. Um Thanks for, for joining tonight. All right. Uh, with all that aside, um, again, if you haven't already, also please follow Sean the Baptist on Facebook and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, that way you not only get all the updates, but it does help uh, get a little more exposure to other people. Apparently, if the way the internet works, if some people think that I'm likable, other people might be suggested that you could like me. So I want to be liked. Well, I want Jesus to be liked. So really think of it. If you like me, I'm going to help people like Jesus. So it's a like for Jesus, sort of. All right. With all that aside tonight, uh, today is the, the feast of, as I mentioned in the morning message, today is the feast of St. Louis Grignon de Montfort, a French saint of the end of the 17th, beginning of the 18th century, died on this day in 1716. He... Um, was an itinerant preacher. So he went around France preaching what we consider maybe kind of like parish missions uh, a bit uh, today. Uh, he did do some writing, but amazingly his his writings uh, essentially were lost to history for quite a while. And he actually, he had a, a vision in which he was basically told this, like, you're gonna be somewhat unknown in your own lifetime. But later, just wait. And uh, that, that is literally what happened. I said he died in 1716. And his most famous work uh, in English goes by True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, was not discovered until like a century or so uh, later, even longer than that, I think. And it really did not become so super popular until even the 20th century. And most uh, especially... Uh, it was because St. John Paul the Great, John Paul II, Carol Wojtyla, um, most people realize he had incredible devotion to Mary. A lot of people don't realize that the theology behind John Paul II's love of Mary started with that of St. Louis de Montfort. He, as a young man, read True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin, and it, it changed his whole life. It inspired his whole life. Um and so we're going to talk a little bit about exactly who, who was St. Louis de Montfort and what was his teaching on Mary. And especially, we know we, I've got a, a lot of people who, who follow Sean the Baptist who are, are not even Catholic. Uh, so you might have questions like, what's all this Catholic uh, Mary stuff about? Whenever we find people who are interested in being Catholic, who are Protestant, um, sometimes one of the, the biggest obstacles is, in fact, well, what's all this stuff about Mary? You know, you guys make too much out of, of Mary. It's all about Jesus, all right? If you, you talk too much about Mary, it's going to get in the way of love of Jesus, doesn't it? Well, of course, I, that, that, that could, could be the case. I mean, it could be possible, and sometimes it might look like it, especially in some of our Hispanic cultures and devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Can it look sometimes like 
Catholics are more in love with Mary than Jesus. Yeah, I suppose it depends upon the circle that you're in, but if, if you actually get down to what's all behind it and everything, no, it, it, it's all about the love of Jesus. And St. Louis de Montfort um, is the one who kind of teaches this, this is a way to love Jesus, uh, to, to love Jesus through Mary. And we'll, we'll talk about kind of that role of mediation and intercession. And isn't there just one mediator between God and man? Why the Blessed Virgin Mary? And uh, Eddie's pointed out in the comments there that um, the bullet uh, in the, the statue of Mary. Um, so uh, one of John Paul II's uh, devotions to Mary is not just under de Montfort, but uh, Our Lady of Fatima. And so, you know, people know that John Paul II, there was an attack on his life in 1981 on May 13th, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. And uh, that the, the bullet with which he was shot uh, after he recovered, he, he gave uh, to the shrine at Fatima, and it was placed in the, the crown that, to this day, they place on top of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima because he had a vision that Mary had, in fact, interceded to save his life during that a- attempt on his life um, back in 1981. And so the... Uh, there are multiple crowns that they put on that statue. The one with the bullet in it, I saw in the museum at the time, not actually on the statue. But John Paul II had an incredible devotion to our Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, no one loved Jesus more than John Paul II, but there is, as we'll see as we unpack de Montfort, there is, well, there's not just one way to come at Jesus. And, and how do we get to know Jesus? How do we, how do we come to love Jesus the best? To, to sum it up, basically, de Montfort teaches that Jesus, when he chose to come to earth, chose to come through Mary. Now, think about that. Jesus is God, second person of the Most Holy Trinity. He decides, not like he decided in, in time, but as God, God decides I'm going to become man. I am going to join my own creation. Now, you can do that any way you want if you're God. And of course, the the Jewish people who were expecting uh, the Messiah, uh, well, yeah, they assumed that when the Messiah comes, uh, it's going to be like, you know, just burst on the scene, military leader, and everyone's going to know it. And, uh, it's going to be perfectly obvious that the Messiah is here because God shows up. And when God shows up, big things are going to happen. Well, God could have come that way. God could have burst onto the earth, you know, just fully formed human being or, or angel. Uh, anyway, God could have come any way he could have possibly chosen to come. He could, he could have just showed up uh, like the head of a host of angels and wiped out all his enemies right at once. It's, it's all possible. Uh, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. And so what we do know is that when God decided to come to save us, he chose to come as a little baby conceived in the womb of a woman who he made the most perfect creature he could ever imagine. Because after all, if, if you get to pick your own mother— and form your own mother and create your own mother, wouldn't you make her perfect? And and so that's what God did. He made Mary the most perfect human being that ever lived, free from original sin, perfectly prepared to be the mother of God. So God comes as a little little tiny single-cell organism at the moment of the Annunciation, grows into an embryo and a fetus, and then is born of the Virgin Mary, grows under her care for 30 years, is under the tutelage of his mom, and for at least part of that, St. Joseph as well. This is how God chose to come into the world. Could have done it anyway. So did God have to do this? No. And we, we always have to keep that in mind, that when we say, well, God did this, we, we can always say, well, it's, it's fitting. It, it's beautiful that he did it this way, but God doesn't have to do anything. He, he didn't have to come in the first place, and he, he didn't have to come the way uh, he did. But he did. And when he chose to come, he, he chose to come through Mary. So what de Montfort realizes and says 
is that, well, if Jesus chose to come through Mary when he came the first time, isn't it not fitting, appropriate, and, and to some extent, DeMontfort would say even necessary, that we would go to Jesus in the same way he chose to come to us, namely, through Mary. Now, of course, the scriptures do tell us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Okay, so it, it's not like it's not like Mary is the mediator to the mediator. Okay, we, we Catholics maybe understand this more in, instinctually that um, there's, there's only one God, one God in three persons. There's God, there's God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, but it's it's three in one. There's only one God, um, and you don't like, oh, let me, you know, let's try to ask Jesus for this, and if that doesn't work, let me try the Holy Spirit. Maybe that will help, and if, if I can't get through to God, you know, via the Holy Spirit, let's see if maybe the Father's home, and you know, it can certainly look that way, and obviously Trinitarian theology is is complicated. How are there three persons in one God? Well, it, it only happens one time. It only exists in one way, so there's no analogy. There's no way to compare it exactly. You know, St. Patrick with his shamrock aside. Um, it's modalism, Patrick. It's modalism. Okay, anyway, go check out Lutheran satire for that. Anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain the Trinity. Well, throw into that then uh, something that is instinctual to Catholics that it, it's not that, you know, there's like the secret code that you got to know to get through to God. No, God is imminent. God loves us. He, he wants to hear our prayers. Jesus says, come, knock, the door will be opened. All that's, that's true. Um, but again, it is fitting that the God who comes to save us does not save us by ourselves. He does not save us alone. He doesn't want to simply come as a singularity and, um, you know, we often say like, well, God saves us. You know, he loves us as if there's only us. This is true. But Jesus also came to establish a community. He wants the whole world to be saved. And, and for that, see last weekend's homily. Again, if you haven't subscribed to Sean the Baptist homily podcast, check that out, seanthebaptist.org. But I talked all about salvation in this last week's homily. God wants, he wills, it's it's the scriptures, that all men be saved. Uh, That means he wants us together. Okay, heaven is not like reward individually for, for me. Like, oh, I did such a good job that I get rewarded with heaven. No, it's a family. That ultimately, you want to know what the Trinity is about, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, that's our God who is a family. Isn't that amazing that our, our God himself is not a singularity in that he's alone. God is love, and if there's going to be love, well, there has to be mutuality between a lover and a a beloved, and love between them. St. Augustine says that's the way to understand the Trinity. The the beloved, the lover, and the the love. That's the, you know, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Christianity is about a community. Well, that community spans— not just the community on earth, but the community in heaven. That's where our, our Protestant brothers and sisters kind of get tripped up. The idea that they seem to think that, well, if people have died, you can't talk to them anymore. They're in, they're probably they're, they're in heaven, and so they're doing their thing, and they just don't care about us on earth. Catholics have never understood it that way. Back from the days of the early church, what did they, what did they do after Jesus had ascended? Well, they gathered with Mary. We, we find that on the day of Pentecost, what are the apostles doing? They're in prayer with Mary. They're gathered around Mary. Um, they find community together and with Mary. Now you could be saying, "All right, well, she's just you know one of the one of the one of the folks time, one of the disciples." Okay. Even if even if that's true, if Mary is just one, well, she's the mother of Jesus. Okay, Jesus entrusted himself to her. Um, the apostles did what Jesus did, and they entrusted themselves to her. Again, back to the, the nut of St. Louis de Montfort's true devotion to Mary. If God chose to come to us through Mary, we should go to Jesus through Mary. And 
if Jesus entrusted himself to Mary, if you want to be like Jesus, that's that's the essence of Christianity. You want to be a good Christian? Be like Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus entrusted himself to Mary, like completely, like I, I need Mary to change my diapers. That dependent upon Mary. That's how much Jesus entrusted himself to Mary. Let her wrap him in swaddling clothes. He couldn't couldn't move. He's completely imprisoned in his little clothes and trusted himself completely to Mary. St. Louis de Montfort says, if Jesus did that, if Jesus entrusted himself completely to Mary, then is that not the perfect model for Christians to also entrust themselves completely to Mary? Now, the, the phrase that, that comes up in, in de Montfort is, to Jesus through Mary, ad Jesum, to Jesus, per Marium, through Mary. So notice that the end is Jesus. If you're Christian, the end goal is to be Christ-like, to be made like Jesus. That's the goal. The question then is, well, what is the best way to do that? If you're a Christian and you want to become like Jesus, how do you do it? And here is perhaps the most famous example from True Devotion to Mary, that, that writing of St. Louis de Montfort. He says, if you want to be like Jesus, all right, think of then um, being formed uh, into a statue. Like say, okay, you want to look like Jesus? So you're trying to make yourself into a, a statue that looks like Jesus. Again, it, it's an analogy, an example. Uh, but let's say, you know, you want to be like Jesus. You want to look like Jesus. So the, the end result is this perfect statue that looks exactly like Jesus. St. Louis de Montfort says there are, there are two ways that you could go about this. You could, like a, a sculptor, you think of St. Saint, Saint, uh, yeah, not Saint, but Michelangelo, for instance, uh, making the beautiful statue of Mary holding the, the dead crucified Jesus, the, the Pieta that's in the, the Vatican. Everyone knows this, this statue. Well, you can chisel away at a block of granite, you know, block of marble, and and that that's us. We're rather rough. We're like a a a block of of stone. All right. Well, you can chisel away at it, and you you know knock off a little bit here, remove some imperfections here. Oh, this doesn't look like Jesus, so I'll get rid of that. Oh, I got some sins here, so let's chisel that away, and and you can try as best you can to carve out a marble statue that looks like Jesus. Michelangelo famously, when people asked him, like, you know, how on earth did you create something like the Pieta? He's like, well, I, I could see the, the image of it in the block, the stone, the block of marble, and I just, and this is Michelangelo's words, I just removed everything that was not the, the Pieta or, you know, not the, the statue of David. I saw it in, again, this is an artist, so he's talking. I, I, could, I could see it in the marble, and I just removed everything that wasn't. Okay, you know, that's one way to describe it, but let's say that's what you're trying to do, to look like Jesus. Okay, that's one way to do it. You're a, you're a block of stone, and you are just going to keep chipping away until you, you make a statue that looks like Jesus. All right, well, well Michelangelo did a, a pretty good job, let's say, with the Pieta. It, it's one of the most famous statues in the whole world. But he's good at it, okay? If you, or me, if I were to try to make the Pieta, I'm like, okay, I'll just remove everything that's not Jesus from this stone. No, it would it would be an absolute disaster because I am, I am not a sculptor. And so St. Louis de Montfort points this out. Like, you might mess it up. If you're trying to form yourself into the image of Jesus by, you know, chipping away at things, what happens when you like knock the nose off or you chip off an ear or, you know, the, the proportions are all wrong? I mean, you, you could attempt it and it might just look bad. You try to make yourself into the image of Jesus, good luck. It, it might look okay. But here's the insight that Louis de Montfort has. He says there's another way. You want to make a perfect statue image of Jesus. Another way you can do it 
is instead of envisioning it as stone that you chip away at, what if instead you were to make a, a metal statue and to do this, you use a mold, okay? And, and you might understand the way uh, a mold might be used. You know, you, you, you carve out into to stone or, or you're, you're given a mold and you just pour hot metal, hot resin, whatever. Uh, lots of our plastic things that we buy at the store are made with a mold. You pour hot plastic stuff into it, press it all together, let it harden, and then you remove the mold and you've got this perfectly formed thing. Because the mold was right, the mold was perfect, you, you pour stuff into it, and when it hardens and you take the mold away, perfect. And you can repeat it over and over and over. St. Louis de Montfort says, this is the other way to look at being perfectly made like Jesus. You want to be perfectly looking like Jesus? What's the most perfect mold? Mary. So what you need to do is allow yourself to be so docile that you are poured into the perfect mold, namely Mary. No one imaged Jesus better than Mary. So you want a human being that most images Jesus? Mary. It's as good as we got. No one did it more perfectly than she did. So take that as your mold. Mold yourself like Mary, and you will come out the perfect image of Jesus or at least the best that a human being can do. Mary is the mold. That is the image from, from true devotion that, that most stuck out to me. So, all right, rather than try to do this all myself and reinvent the wheel, how am I gonna make, how am I gonna make Sean look like Jesus? Well, good luck if I try to do it myself. I mean, I'm not good at making statues and I'm not good at just fixing myself. But what if I allowed myself to be docile, to be like molten, like whatever it is you would pour into a mold, and then I allow myself to be shaped by Mary? What if I allow her to say, Mary, I got a problem with pride, all right? I'm, I'm arrogant. I'm overly proud. I like uh, attention too much. I like reward. I, I like... I like to be achieving. I like, I, like, I like trophies. I like medals. Well, does that look like Jesus? Uh, no, not so much. Who did it best? Mary. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. The Lord has looked upon me, his humble, lowly handmaiden. Mary knows humility. So what if instead of trying to just chip away at all my imperfections. What if I just said, all right, I'm going to be docile and try to be more like Mary. What did Mary do? She was the mother of God. If anyone had reason for, to be proud, to, to, to boast, it's Mary. And she didn't. She never asked anything for herself. Her words are always, listen to Jesus. Listen to my son. Do whatever he tells you. Behold, I am the, the handmaid, literally the, the humble servant, the slave of the Lord. Just be it done to me. There's a, there's a funny uh, meme that I, I, I've seen on the, the internet where it's, um, it's kind of playing on the uh, bumper stickers that you sometimes see on cars where, uh, you know, someone pulls up and their bumper sticker's like, my kid is an honor student at so-and-so diaper school. You know, how do you get to be an honor student at a diaper school? Whatever. You know, my, my kid's an honor student at such and such high school or things like that. Well, in the meme, the, the digital picture on the internet, there's like three camels. And, um, you know, two of them like, yeah, my kid is an honor student at, you know, such and such rabbinic school. And my kid's, uh, you know, first place at, the uh, you know, rabbi day of fun or something. And um, Mary's on a camel and hers simply says, my son's God. Okay. Uh, it's, it's funny because that's something Mary would never do. Okay. Uh, she wouldn't go around, you know, drawing attention to herself or bragging, hey, look at me. I'm a big deal because my son's God. No, Mary is the, the perfect mold image of humility. So you want to be humble? Pour yourself into Mary. Allow her to form you, to mold you. 
and, and you become more like Jesus. Now, it, again, that's, that's a way to go. Again, it's not the only way. You don't have to do it that way. But it's, it's kind of fitting. Jesus himself, the scriptures tell us this. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And it says in the Gospel of Luke that he learned to grow in wisdom and knowledge and age through Mary. If, if Jesus can allow himself to be poured into the mold of his parents, Mary and Joseph, they are true parents in his humanity. They formed him into the man that he became. If that's what Jesus allowed himself to do, then if you want to be like Jesus, can we possibly do any better than that? Now, we, we take Mary as kind of the, the pinnacle of this, but I mean, it, it works too just for, for other saints. That's why, that's why ultimately we canonize saints in the Catholic Church because, well, we need other examples, other molds, if you will, than, than just Mary, perhaps. Mary is the, the, the pinnacle, she, perfection of it all. But, let, I mean, let's say, you know, you, you're, let's say you're a, a, a man and you, you don't connect well with, with female saints. Maybe there's trauma in your past. Maybe your own mother was not good to you. Um, well, that's why we have other saints too, to say, you want to be like Jesus? Well, look at this guy who did it. And maybe I can say like, oh, Augustine, you know, I, I can relate to that. Oh my goodness. And this isn't my story, but let's say you're someone who was just going all over the place, crazy, not living a good life. And then you meet Jesus and you're like, can I turn my life around? Can I be given to Jesus and become a great saint? Well, look at Augustine. He did it. You know, and, and so we can take the images of the saints and say, maybe it's it's a little more down-to-earth tangible uh, to be, you know, one step removed from just, well, I want to be like Jesus. All right, well, Jesus was God. So we question, like, well, he was able to do things that only God can do, so how can I do that? Or how can I be perfect like Jesus because he was God? And, it's like, okay, well, what about these other people who became great saints? Maybe I can be like them. Maybe I can be like Augustine. Maybe maybe I can be a courageous politician like St. Thomas More. Maybe I can be a, a incredible prayer warrior missionary like St. Therese of Lisieux. Maybe I can be an incredibly smart in philosophy and theology like uh, Catherine of Alexandria. Or or maybe I love mountains in the outdoors like Blessed Giorgio Versati. We can see in the lives of the saints images that we can pour ourselves into and say, okay, if I want to be like Jesus, well, here's some kind of stepping stones uh, that, that I can use. And, and St. Louis de Montfort simply sees that Mary is, is the best you could possibly do because she did it perfectly. Um, so in his, his writings on true devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, you kind of have to keep all that in mind because... I will say that when, when I first read uh, the book, it was back in college, and um, I got really frustrated with the, the book, quite quite frankly. I, I am not now, nor have I ever been Protestant, but he, he really sets up Mary as such the pinnacle that I'm like, man, if you follow this stuff, I, I can kind of get why Protestants think we worship Mary. And it, he got so, it, he almost exaggerates his devotion to Mary and the the primacy of Mary amongst the saints that I, at one point, I'm like, no, I just, this is just too frustrating. I'm like, it sure sounds, St. Louis, like you are making Mary the mediator to the mediator. And then I like, no, I flip the next page and it says, now don't think that I'm saying that Mary is the mediator to the mediator. I'm like, well, it sure looks like you're saying that. So it, it took a couple readings and a little bit for it to, to grow on me over the years. So it, it's, it's, not, it's not dogma of the church that you have to take everything St. Louis de Montfort says as like, this is the way it is. It's a way. And I think perhaps what most makes me not just say, well, forget that, it's just not me. I, I really saw how John Paul II... Um, his entire devotion to our Blessed Mother was based upon this book, True Devotion to Mary. That's why I wanted to read it. Um, it, it worked for him in, in an incredible way. 
if and I, I say this, you know, in, in the fullness of the, the Catholic faith, th- there are plenty of teachings that, that, that say of the primacy of Mary, the importance of Mary. If, if you are someone that says, like, yeah, I, I, I recognize the, the importance of Mary in her place, but it's just, it's not my thing. It's not my particular piety. That's actually okay. You realize you can be a good Catholic and not pray the rosary. I know that's just like heresy to say practically on a, a show on devotion to Mary at St. Louis de Montfort. Um, I just throw that out there to say that most of what the saints teach uh, that is characterized by their own personality is what we call private revelation. Uh, it worked for them. It worked for St. John Paul II. It's, it's grown on me over the years, devotion to the, the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, I, I've always prayed the rosary, but th- there have been times in my life where I'm like, I, it has not been a daily thing to pray the rosary for me. There have been other times where I just feel much more the need for like a maternal kind of uh, connection and devotion to Mary has been a, an important part at different times uh, in my life. And I, I think part of the reason that I, I struggle is exactly the reasons why I need Mary, because I want to do it on my own. I, I want to be the person with the, the hammer and the chisel that's taking the stone. I'd rather do it that way. I'm like, I got to get holy and I got to do it. Well, St. Louis de Montfort says, like, you can do that. It's just, it's easier. The mold way is easier. Use the mold. But I'm like too hard-headed. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix myself. Well, uh, yeah, that doesn't always work. And there are times when I felt most close to the Blessed Virgin Mary when I realized I just can't do it. I'm at the the end of my rope. I, you know, over the the last four years, especially in my life, I've I've gone through a lot of struggle, even to to pray. Just through, I mean, people know this. I've talked about it, like depression, anxiety. Uh, you know, doing the things to get like professional help to come through that, and and praise God, I'm I am through that now, basically. But especially, I think I've found when I've been unable to pray. When I know, like, I can't even pick up my little hammer and chisel to, to fix the next thing because I'm just, I'm too too weak, too sad, too broken. I can't even pray. There's the, there's this image of Jesus in the, the icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help where he is, um, he, he's being held by Mary, his mother, as a little child. But his, his sandal is kind of falling off his, his foot, if you look at it real carefully. And the, the teaching on that, that image, that icon, is that uh, he, he's frightened by the images of the, the passion. There's, you know, like a cross and a spear in it. And so what Jesus has done is he's run and jumped into the arms of Mary, his mother, and he, he jumped so quickly that his sandal is like falling off because he was so afraid that he, he jumped into the arms of his mother the way any scared child would do. And that is the image that uh, when I've been most confronted with my own, just I can't do it. I, I, I can't pray. I don't feel very close to God. It's just the, the last, it's like the last thing there is to do is I'm just going to go run and jump in the arms of Mary. And just like, Mary, I'm just, I'm just scared. I'm a mess. Just, just please hold me. Um, that is, that's hard uh, for uh, adults to see themselves in childlike need. I think this is why Jesus tells us, unless you become like a, a child, you will not enter heaven. Because if we think we can do it, we're in big trouble. But if we realize, I can't do it, can't do it, I'm just going to run and jump in the, the arms of Mary. Well, that's it. If you surrender enough and are humble enough to say, I can't do it, now now you've got the humility to be able to enter heaven like like a child. And so I think especially for, uh, for men, uh, the idea of being totally dependent and abandoned to something else is, is just it... Uh, it kind of goes against the masculine nature, doesn't it? As men, we want to say, like, I got this. I got this. It's all good. If it's broken, I'll fix it. I got it. That's what men do. We fix things. Um, we want to be independent and in control. Well, those are obstacles to heaven. Obstacles to experiencing the love of God who calls us his beloved sons and daughters. Now, I God certainly wants to perfect what is good in the masculine charism. I'm not, I'm not denying that for one bit. God has raised up plenty of saints who use 
masculine ability to say, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life. Jesus was fully man when he laid down his life for his bride, the church. That's masculine. Okay, I'm not, I'm not dismissing that for a minute. But there is a sense in which we can be too proud and too arrogant to admit that we need God. Uh, and so maybe Mary is a stepping stone to say, even the, the toughest man at heart wants to be held by his mom. And if you didn't have a good mom like that, you wish you did. Because there's something innate in all of us. And, and this goes for women too. But to be held by your mom is security. It's peace. It's protection. After all, her womb held you for nine months. It, I mean, sadly, today it's not the safest place. But it should be the safest place ever for a baby is to be inside his mom. You're protected. That's... That's the role Mary can can be for us today. When as as Don is saying, you're you're spiritually dry in your prayer. You're not you're not feeling it. Well, run to Mary. Say, Mary, I don't know what to do. Well, Mary, I the image that, that sticks out to me is uh the wedding feast at, at Cana, where if you remember the, the story, of course, there's the, the wedding feast and it's funny because uh, it says Mary was there. Oh, and by the way, Jesus was also invited. I kind of shows you the, the importance of Mary, at least in the Gospel of John there. Uh, oh, yeah, and Jesus was also there. Uh, but Mary was there. That's the big deal. Um, well, of course, in the course of the meal and uh, the celebration, which could go on for days, I'm told, they run out of wine. Well, Mary notices it. And the, the words that often come up in my prayer Mary sees what's going on. She's a good, observant Jewish mom. And she goes to her son, Jesus, who she knows can do something about it. And she says, they have no wine. Just, just those four words. She did, she's not like, Jesus, can't you see what's going on here? Jesus, you got to do something about this. Get in there. And, no, she's just like, they have no wine. Hmm. I can imagine Mary just pointed it out. Hey, look at that. You notice that? They have no wine. As if to say, mm-hmm, and what are you going to do about it, son? Um, but just that phrase, they have no wine. And of course, Jesus knew that too. I mean, he's, he's God, but he allows Mary to be the instrument of his first miracle because she simply tells him she knows what he's going to do. So he just tells her, do whatever he tells you. And they do. And he turns, you know, all those ceremonial washing jars like, hundreds of gallons of water, basically, into wine. When I am feeling dry, when I'm down, when my, my prayer doesn't seem to be working, when I, when I don't feel much like talking to God, when, quite frankly, there are times when I'm not very happy with Jesus. Okay, that happens. If, if it's a real relationship, it's like, oh, Father Sean, I, I could never get mad at God. Well, if you can't get mad at God, then you don't really have a relationship because the best of couples fight. Ask any good married couple, uh, what's the secret to 50 years of marriage? Well, you learn how to fight. So you don't hurt each other, but you can talk about things that are mad and when things are wrong. Y you got to be able to tell God what's on your heart. And there are times where I'm like, God, this just is no good. What the heck are you doing? This is not how I would do it. Um, okay. There are times when I'm just mad at God or I'm just so down um, that I'm like, Mary, hey, Hey, can you, can you like point out to Jesus? Hey, hey, look at Sean over there. Um, he's got no wine. Yeah, I've got no wine. Sometimes I just want Mary to to notice that and tell Jesus. You know, not like he doesn't know. I'm just like, well, maybe if Mary asks. Um, the other the other image from Saint Louis de Montfort that sticks out uh, for me is um, he uses the image of uh, giving a gift to a king. So he's like, let's say you're a poor person. And, and so th this means us, like in our sins. Uh, we are so distant from God in our lack of perfection. So we want to we give a gift to the king. And he, he uses the image, since a poor person, let's say you want to give the king an apple. Well, he's, he's the king. I mean, who cares about an apple, you know? He's um, like, all right. So maybe you, miserable, broken little sinner that you are, 
don't seem like much of a gift to a, a king. You're like an apple compared to a, a king who gets incredible gifts all the time. He says, here's what, here's what you do, though. If you want that gift to be received, let the queen bring it in and present it to the king. Because now it's not just your gift. Now it's, it's your gift, but the queen will take it and put it on a golden platter and present it in her own person. And so now the king sees not just an apple given from a nobody, but he sees the queen whom he loves on this beautiful golden dish, bringing him this gift of an apple. Kind of embellishes the gift and makes it irresistible. St. Louis de Montfort says like that, that's what it's like to use Mary as an intercessor with Jesus. It's not like Jesus wouldn't respect your gift. Like, yeah, he says the, the woman who put two small coins into the treasury, Jesus notices, like he knows, she's given all she had. That's the best gift. So he knows if you give an apple and that's all you get, fine. But St. Louis says, wow, what, what if instead you take that petition and you, you allow it to be presented to Jesus by Mary? It's an analogy, okay? But yeah, there are times when I'm like, Mary, me and Jesus ain't so good right now. Can, can, can you help can you help a guy out? I, I've got this prayer request. Jesus seems not to be answering. Okay, and let me say, all right, uh, the Protestant brothers and sisters, yeah, yeah, it's it's not like, oh, dad said no, so let's ask mom. Uh, it, it's a communion, okay? And, you know, if, if mom and dad are actually working together right, you know, it's not like one's going to say yes, and hopefully. It's a, it's a way of being in communion. To, it, it's just like, anybody, you know, theology aside, how many times on earth do we ask our brothers and sisters, like, man, I'm going through a tough time. Could you pray for me? Could you pray for me? That's a good thing to ask, and we do it all the time. Could you pray for me? And if I'm a a good Christian who cares about my fellow Christian who's asking, I'm like, sure, I'll pray for you. In fact, let's pray right now. Keep that in mind. Whenever someone says, like, I'm going through a rough time, don't, don't just say, like, oh, I'll pray for you. Say, well, let's pray right now and do. One of my friends said to me uh, the other day, Father Sean, I I always like telling you my problems because when you say you pray for me, like you actually do. (laughs) So many times we just use it as a throwaway. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll pray for you. Well, number one, if you tell someone you're going to pray for them, do it. Intercessory prayer is powerful because it draws us into communion. God likes to see it when his creatures look out for each other. But secondly, instead of just saying, I'll pray for you, go ahead and do it right there. Because then you are brought together in communion right there. Well, certainly Mary is the the intercessor of intercessors. It's the best. So again, do you have to do it that way? No. But is it fitting? Is it beautiful? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, And so, as I said, in my own spirituality and prayer, there are times where Mary is more or less important. It, it, it comes and goes. Um, right now, I can say that when I, I pray my morning office, the, the breviary, uh, I pray matins and lauds in the 62 Latin version. So it takes me, you know, like 45 minutes. That, that's a lot of uh, what we call vocal prayer. So it's, it's set text. It's the, it's the Psalms. It's fixed. And when I'm done with all that vocal prayer, um, I want to be a little more meditative meditative, and, and quiet. So I grab my rosary next and I just kind of sink back into my chair and I just walk through those passages of scripture, which we call the, the mysteries of the rosary. And, and I sit with Mary and just, you know, allow the, the Hail Mary prayers of the beads to just kind of be the background music to just some non-scripted meditation. And, and, and maybe something comes different each day, you know, with those beautiful mysteries of the rosary. It's as if we're, we're contemplating the mysteries of the life of Christ with Mary. And, and right now in, in my prayer, that's a, that's a beautiful thing for me. I think I used to take the rosary as a, well, here is something that you ought to do if you're a good Catholic, and I'm going to get it out of the way during my day sometime. All right, there's nothing wrong with saying, like, I'm going to have set prayers that I'm going to do. But it, it can be one of those things that we... Like, well, we better check in with Mary because, well, she if, if we ignore Mary, it's going to be a bad day. Or like, just in case Mary is able to answer my prayer better, we better get the rosary in. <laughs> and so sometimes Catholics are the worst about it because, like, 
it almost becomes a superstition thing where like, got to get the rosary in. So um, let's see, we're getting together as Catholics and we don't have a priest so we can't do mass. So what do we do? We'll pray the rosary. And so all the time people are like, you know, pray the rosary. Sometimes the worst is like before mass where you got set amount of time. We're going to pray the rosary. And it's like, it it becomes like an auction, as I, I call it. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee, blessed art among women, blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother God, pray for sinners now, the hour of our death. Amen. Sold. I'm like, whoa, that is not the way the rosary is supposed to go. It's like, it's not a race. It's not a, let's get through this. Get my 50 Hail Marys and five of our fathers in there and get it done. No, the... You ever realize, like, the reason that there are, are beads is, is so you're supposed to get so lost in the the meditation of the, the mysteries that, you know, like the birth of Jesus or the, the Annunciation or the Crucifixion or whatever you're praying on. You're supposed to get so lost in the meditation that, that you would lose track of, like, the background music of how many Hail Marys you've said or whatever. The rosary began with, with not a, a set of beads, but, like, people would fill your pocket with stones, and you'd say a Hail Mary and toss a stone out. And when you'd emptied your pocket, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm done. So you didn't have to worry about time. <laughs> the idea is to kind of lose yourself. So that's why I actually, for me, I don't like praying the rosary together with a group um, because I might speed up. I might slow down. I might just get lost for a little bit on this prayer. It's it's meditation. Uh, it's sitting in, in the school of Mary, as John Paul II would teach, um, to contemplate these things. So another way that, that Mary is, is with us, um, fittingly so. Imagine Mary instructing little child Jesus. Uh, allow yourself to be a humble child enough to be in, instructed. I mentioned last week in my uh, talk on art and how art saves the world, um, a, a painting that I had seen in New York of... Uh, our, our blessed mother, Mary, actually being taught by her mother, Anne, and um, by uh, Georges de la Tour. In fact, not, you know, I think I said it was in the Met last time at the, at the, uh, the cloisters. It was actually in the Frick. So um, no one caught that. So you guys, there are no art critics on here. But th there's another art gallery in New York. It's a, a private one called the Frick Museum, F-R-I-C-K. Um, it is where the famous Holbein uh, portrait of uh, St. Thomas More is at. But it's also got this Georges de la Tour painting that I, I discovered um, called The School of the Virgin, I believe. Just the, the humble docility to be taught. Will you allow Mary to teach you? Again, do you have to do it that way? No, but Jesus did. If Jesus allowed himself to be taught, well, maybe we could allow ourselves to be taught uh, as well. Um, all fitting Arguments, again, from fittingness, from beauty, not necessity. Let me end uh, tonight on this uh, Feast of St. Louis de Montfort um, with a couple of things I, I mentioned in the morning message today to just kind of hit them quickly because this theology, all right, take it or leave it, um, that the church has obviously, <laughs> does not dogmatically teach any of this. Uh, and if, if you've done uh, Michael Gately's 33 Days to Morning Glory, in preparation for this consecration to Jesus through Mary, St. Louis de Montfort recommends that in making the consecration to Jesus through Mary, you spend 33 days in preparation. Uh, so Michael, Father Michael Gately created a book, 33 Days to Morning Glory, which is kind of a preparation. And in it, he argues for the, the beauty of de Montfort's teaching by, by listing the popes that have personally found it edifying, John Paul II being first among them. And I will say again, that's what attracted me to it. I could see John Paul II loves Mary. And then I found out, that, like, well, St. Louis de Montfort is the, the basis of that. I'm sold. I'm going to find out what it's about. A couple things then. So St. Louis de Montfort's writings, this true devotion to Mary, John Paul II took his papal motto from the writings of St. Louis de Montfort. So, totus tuus. In Latin, it means totally yours. Um, the, the full prayer, if I can remember it, is something like, Todos tuus ego sum, I am totally yours, uh, et uh, omnia mea tua sunt, I think. 
all all that is mine, omnia mea, to us soon, is, is yours. St. Louis de Montfort talks about giving over to Jesus through Mary everything that we have. In other words, become poor, destitute, beggar. Louis de Montfort even uses the word slave. Think of a, a, a person who's sold into slavery because you have nothing. That's how dependent upon Mary you should be to bring you to Jesus. So all that I have is yours. I am, I am totally yours. All that I have is yours. And I think the, the shorter form, if I'm trying to remember it, the, the, the rest of it is um, uh, I, I give you all that I have, something like, and then uh, I ask you, Mary, give me your heart. Yeah, like uh, da mi he quorum or some. Give me your heart. It's one of the beautiful teachings in the the writing of Saint Louis de Montfort. What do you get if you empty yourself and give yourself completely to Mary? What what do you get? Mary will give you her heart. Why would I want the heart of Mary? Because no one loved Jesus better than the heart of Mary. So, um, one of my favorite titles of Mary is Queen of All Hearts. Because I'm a, I'm kind of a heart guy. People think, oh, Father Sean's an engineer and a theologian and a lawyer of all things. You know, you're pretty heady. And, and a lot of times I, I am. And so when I talk, I come across as kind of a theologian lawyer kind of guy where I talk about things that are specific and black and white and concrete. Deep down, I'm kind of a softy. I'm a bit of a heart guy. And I, I like truth that's black and white and things, but I love the things of the heart. And it, it's with the heart that we love God, okay? I mean, the heady stuff, as I said a couple weeks ago, that's a way to God. I was convinced by intellectual argument, like Thomas Aquinas, into loving God, but the response is with the heart. And my heart is willing to respond to things. I respond to the beauty of nature. That's why I like, you know, being a scout and going out and seeing beautiful things, like we talked about Philmont, God's country. Uh, my heart leaps up for beautiful things. My heart leaps up for for friendship and love and connection and all these things that are like, that's, that's not very manly, is it? Yes, it is. Um, no one had a greater heart to love Jesus than, than Mary. And so I, I also know that, that that passion that I have in my heart, it, it needs a little direction. It, it needs a little ruling because, well, our, our passions also can run after the wrong things and get us out of control. Again, I would take the maxim that God can't drive a parked car, so passions are what move us. Uh, anima non movetur pedibus, sed affectibus. As we said, that's um, Saint Chris, John Chrysostom before. The, the soul is not moved by the feet, but by the passions. Okay, the, the feet move the body around, but what moves us around is the heart, the affect, the passions. So I pray, Mary, guide my heart. Um, there's a little shrine in uh, in Washington, D.C., in the big basilica, the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Down in the crypt level, off to the right, uh, there's a, a frieze in the wall that has the Holy Family, and it simply says, Guide My Heart. That's my my favorite title of Mary through St. Louis de Montfort. He created the confraternity of Mary, Queen of All Hearts. And uh, so when I made my consecration to Mary, back in 2001, uh, consecration to Jesus through Mary, I entrusted my heart her. And I pray to this day, Mary, queen of all hearts, guide, guide my heart, make my heart like Jesus. Mary, as it says in the prayer, give me your heart because I want to love. I want to love Jesus. And nobody did it better than Mary. So tonight we've been talking on this feast at St. Louis de Montfort about John Paul II and his love of Mary as he learned through St. Louis de Montfort, the total consecration to Jesus through Mary and the way that Jesus chose to come through Mary. If it was good enough for Jesus, why not us? That's the essence of true devotion to Mary in a nutshell. Jesus chose to come through Mary, so let's go to Jesus through Mary. You want to be like Jesus? No one did it better than Mary. Want to be like Jesus? Be like Mary. That's it. Give yourself totally to Jesus. And there can be no better way to do that than through Mary. I hope you found this helpful. Um, if you're just joining us now at 6.30, by the 5.30 uh, was live tonight because bells are ringing here at St. Pat's and that means I've got to go hear confessions. We'll be back at the 6.30 time live next week.
Thank you for joining me on this beautiful day of St. Louis de Montfort, where we honor Jesus to the one who did it better than anyone, his blessed mother, Mary. May you discover true devotion to Jesus through Mary, and may we all come at last to heaven, where we will be with Mary and the saints forever. God bless you.